This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on water. And dryer coverage. Just call 1 800 686 3910. That's 1 800 686 3910. Again, 1 800 686 3910. Call now. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, I have an acknowledgement to make right out of the chute. Welcome to the program. I sat up here on this program and I vouched for a man. A man that I said had the utmost integrity. A man who would not compromise his principles, his credibility, or his integrity. I even believe I said that man would resigned before that would happen. I said that man had more integrity in his pinky finger than anyone in Washington, D.C. As a matter of fact, I may have said in everyone in these key positions in Washington, D.C. put together, meaning anybody in the White House, most of the people in Congress, our courts, that man was... FBI Director James Comey. I've met James Comey. I will not pretend to be a friend of James Comey, but I've talked with him on several occasions, more than once. We've had discussions, and I've listened to his his sermons. He talked about one of those sermons that he delivered when he was first appointed as FBI Director, that he he told to every one of his agents and how it was more important to do what was right than what was convenient to never allow their integrity to be questioned how important that was in all of this to do the right thing I sat up there and I listened to him say it I looked at him I looked in his eyes and I believed him As you know, James Comey, FBI director, decided that he wouldn't wouldn't recommend criminal charges against Mrs. Bill Clinton in her handling of her secret server. And I sat up there and I listened to some of the things that Director Comey said in this news conference, which really was was nothing more than uh, theater. And I'm here to acknowledge that I can no longer vouch for the integrity of Director Comey. Do I think he's a bad human being? I'm not saying that. 
I said I can no longer vouch for his integrity. Does that mean he doesn't have any? No. I said I can no longer vouch for it. Now let's break this thing down. This whole last seven or ten days, starting with Loretta Lynch meeting Bill Clinton in some secret meeting on a, in an airport hangar, And after she stood there and said, no, there was nothing improper about this. No, don't worry. We talked about his grandkids and his golf game and all this other nonsense. No, no, there's nothing. I didn't compromise anything here. And after about 24 hours, the White House saw she was drowning in this thing. She needed a lifeline. And that lifeline became FBI Director James Comey. Within... 48 hours, probably 36. She said, I'm going to defer this decision to FBI Director James Comey. That is unprecedented. I've been in law enforcement for 38 years. I have never heard a prosecutor say, I'm going to defer to the officers, the police officers, or the detectives or the investigators as to whether criminal charges uh, should be brought, about, uh, brought forth here. I'm not going to use my own judgment. I'm just going to defer to them. That's insane. You're not that stupid. And when she said that, I right away I jumped out of my chair. I said, she's not going to do this. Is any and you know, it seemed to me, it seemed to me, the media elites in DC were buying this. Oh, it's up to James Comey. If you think that the Attorney General of the United States, who's handpicked by the president, is going to sit up there and allow a decision that would have Tremendous implications on the November elections and who may or may not become the next president of the United States. They're going to defer down to an appointed bureaucrat? I mean, you didn't believe that, now, did you? I know you did. So then, quickly, she's called in. Mrs. Bill Clinton is calling to give her statement to the FBI on a holiday weekend. Three and a half hours we hear. We still don't know what the heck went on in, in, in most of this. She comes out of there and like, you know, three days the FBI's ready to render their decision. Do you see how quickly this happened? Attorney General Lynch meets with Mrs. Bill Cl- uh, Mr. Bill Clinton in an airport hangar, a secret meeting, as she said, there was uh, no impropriety. Quickly acknowledges the impropriety. By the way, where's the ethics investigation on her? When is that going to start? She acknowledged that what she did was improper. After saying, no, 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 it's all cool. It's all good. Nothing to see here. And she's going to drop this down in James Comey's lap. Here's where I begin to have the problems with Director Comey. He knew he wasn't going to make this decision in a vacuum. His job is to investigate and to report the findings to the Attorney General. The Attorney General makes the decision whether or not to bring criminal charges. That's how the process works. I worked in homicide with the Milwaukee Police Department. I'd bring a homicide case over. 
Some of these were difficult to prove. It was a whodunit, maybe. And you have some things, you know, some of it's circumstantial, some of it's good, some of it's, well, I don't know. And I've never had a prosecutor say to me, I'm going to leave it up to you, Sheriff, or then Detective Clark, as to whether criminal charges will be brought forth or not. I've never had it happen. Comey's a smart man. He should have said, oh, no, you don't. I will defer back to you, Madam Attorney General. That's what I would have said. I will present the findings. I will not be making any recommendation. That is your job. Because this thing was a political loser. And they needed a fall guy. And if you think Barack Obama was going to allow an FBI director, and, and this, this, this presumes that Obama knew nothing about the investigation, and you know that's not true either. And he's going to roll the dice on James Comey? An appointed bureaucrat? Without knowing what his recommendation would be? Now, folks, this is not how this stuff works. You all know it. I'm preaching to the choir. But none of this passes a smell test. None of it. So we sit up here, and this all happens within, like I said, within 10 days, might have been seven, might have been five days, from the day she met Attorney General Loretta Lynch with Bill Clinton in that airport hangar. All of a sudden, everything came together. We waited a long time for this. Within three days of her statement, she talked to him for three and a half hours. What'd she talk about? Did she deny any of it? Did she clam up? Did she Was she represented by counsel? She didn't talk to them by herself. She's not that stupid. In the next segment, we're going to break down um, uh, some of the things that Comey said that I, I find highly disturbing. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Okay, let's stay on this decision by FBI Director James Comey to not recommend criminal charges against Mrs. Bill Clinton in the Secret Server scandal. It was a scandal. I should have done a better job of setting this up for myself against this backdrop. Remember on this program when I said Mrs. Bill Clinton will never see the inside of a courtroom. I said that. I knew it. And it happened. So my problem now is not that criminal charges were not filed. I said 
It wouldn't happen. Why did I believe it wouldn't happen? Because our government is corrupt from the highest levels all through it. The White House is corrupt. The Congress is corrupt. The courts are corrupt. The United States Department of Justice is corrupt. Our whole system is corrupt. And now there's a chance that one of the most corrupt people in U.S. history ever to run for president might reach that office? Have we fallen that far that fast? So in talking about what happened here, I'm talking about the process. Not the decision itself. I had some problems with that, but but the process. Stinks. None of this got better for Mrs. Bill Clinton, by the way. The RNC has their act together. If the GOP, I should say. Well, both. They have their act together. They can make great political hay out of this. Continue to paint this wench as corrupt. The Clinton corruption is seeking the presidency once again. But getting back to, 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 to James Comey here, I don't want to sound like I'm in a position of, of, of what he should have done, but maybe what he could have done. Because like I said, he was a stand-up guy, at least I thought. He still might be, but I remember I said I can't vouch for it anymore. Because I know that's what I'm going to hear after this. Sheriff Clark says James Comey is, is, um, has no integrity. No, I said I can't vouch for it anymore. That's all. So they come to him and say, you're going to make this decision in a vacuum, right? We don't know what you're going to do. I mean, you, you don't believe that. I want to throw this out there. No one's mentioned this, at least not by the time this program happened. I wonder if the White House had something or has something on James Comey. Because I just can't see why he would have done, he would have brought his integrity into question when he knows that's all he's got. I wonder if this is another one of those Petraeus things. They, they, do they have something on Jim Comey? I wonder. Someone should look into that. But getting back to this decision. So we sit up here, and here was part of what he said. And this is a quote in this, this, this theater called the News Conference. It says, although there is evidence of potential violation of the statutes regarding the handling of classified information, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case End of quote. Think about that. Although there is evidence of potential violations, that's all they're supposed to look for. Is there evidence of violations of the law? That's what an investigation does. They look for evidence of of wrongdoing. He says they have it, but then he pivots and says, in our judgment, first of all, I'd like to know who our is, No reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. Now this comes down to the reasonable prosecutor standard. I've never heard of that standard before, folks. I've heard of the reasonable police officer standard. It's been cited in Supreme Court cases. 
Prosecutors have total discretion. Total discretion. So he, he resorts to the reasonable prosecutor. I could easily say no reasonable, no reasonable prosecutor would not bring such a case. He made the case. He laid it out. He called some of it reckless. He called some of it evasive. He called it negligent. He laid it all out. And then he said no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. Well, what kind of case would a prosecutor bring then? As far as I'm concerned with what he laid out, it doesn't get better than this. We've sent people to prison, taking their security clearances for less than this. So if, if they're not going to bring criminal charges, is the Attorney General or, or, or Director Comey going to recommend she have her security privileges pulled? They should. At the very least? I mean, this is just kind of like nothing here, everybody move along? This, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, folks. I've been around this a long time. A long time. I've never seen this. Just the whole handling of it. This is why a special prosecutor should have been named from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Why? To at least give some semblance of appropriateness. Minus the politics. You're never going to take the politics away totally. I mean, look what happened to Ken Starr. But you can lessen the conflict of interest. You have people from her party. She worked in the office as a cabinet secretary. The attorney general is appointed by the president of the United States and works for the president. It is incestuous. That's why we needed a special prosecutor. But no, they weren't. There's no way on God's given earth that Barack Obama was going to let go of this thing. And there's no way on God's given earth that Eric Holder or Attorney General Lynch, when she came in, she could have done it right away, looked and go, nah, not here, special prosecutor. Let's remove any intimation of politics and impropriety here. So James Comey makes the case, says, yeah, we got a lot here, but uh, 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 no reasonable prosecutor would bring this case for uh, Folks, I think you can see why I find this just incredible. And now the theater begins, right? Now the theater begins because now the Congress is going to get involved. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the show starts. Remember, I've talked about this too. It's the show. I call it theater sometimes. It's the show. So now Grassley and and some other senators are you know they're they're demanding uh, Loretta Lynch and James Comey appear before them to answer questions. That's all the show. It's not going to change anything. Forget it. It's over. 
It's not going to change a damn thing. And if you think that those two are going to get up there and then say something against what just happened, forget about it. Again, we're being distracted. That's what this is. The show. We're being distracted. We should be hammering away on Mrs. Bill Clinton for being corrupt, for being a liar, for being dishonest. Let this thing go. We're wasting time. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break, and at the worst possible time. Call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Okay, we've talked on this program time and time again about the state of the GOP-led Congress. And I've talked incessantly about how you can't even tell which party is in power in the Congress by the behavior of the Republicans. It is one of the things that I have pinpointed that has led to the rise of Donald Trump. Many of you in this listening audience have had it. You're done being led around by the nose, by the establishment. Who's the establishment? The donor class, the political elites, the media elites. And you're not going back, and I don't blame you. And you voiced that displeasure over the last six months with the RNC, the GOP, and the presidential primary by coming out in record numbers to support Donald J. Trump to be the Republican nominee for the next president of the United States. The political elites, the donor elites, the media elites are disconnected from the voter base, they're disconnected from the people they need. And I mean, it's a total disconnection. It's not a miscommunication. It's not a misunderstanding. It is a total disconnect. And so you, again, in record numbers, said this is going to be our nominee. And of course, the political elites, the donor elites, the donor class, the media elites continue Continue to want to wipe you aside and they're still sniping at Donald Trump's heels. He's still fighting that battle. 
as he goes into the Republican convention in Cleveland in a, in a couple of weeks, next week, week after. And it, it's just, you know, it's amazing. To me, I find it amazing that they still don't get it. And that they're still fighting to hang on to the status quo. That's what they're trying to protect. The status quo. They're willing to subject this country, this great country, to four years of Mrs. Bill Clinton to protect their status quo. This is staggering. To me, it is. They are looking at it that personally. They are saying, basically, we can live with her to maintain our status quo within this party. But we will not allow this party to be blown up by some outsider going into November and ruining our our empire that we've built. It's a disaster, by the way. It was a disaster long before that. That's where I'm going with this. So... You did what you were supposed to do. You gave them money. This is going into the 2014 midterm elections. I mean, I could take you back further than that, but I don't think we have to go over that ground again here. You went out and you voted for all of these Republican candidates and you gave them the Senate. What was the Senate or what was the congressional, uh, the, the, the Republican class in Washington saying, well, we need control of the Senate. We only have the House. We don't have the White House. We have the House of Representatives. If you give us the Senate, if you give us control of the Senate, we will stop the Obama agenda. And we gave it to them. Did they live up to their word? No, they did not. And I mean in in, in ways that just were unbelievable. Some of the spending bills. Some of the things that we sent them to Washington to do and to stop and to to promote. And they did very little. So you've heard me on this program talk about how you can't tell the difference between Democrats and Republicans in Washington, D.C. You can at the state level. There's very little difference. Why? Because that's the ruling class. They may have a different letter after their name, and I'm not talking about all of them, but I'm talking about most. Because if I started naming names as to who I think have been reliable, I probably wouldn't use all my fingers up on both hands, in the Senate anyway. The other ones would just go along. So I come across this story, the Daily Signal. It's on July 5th, Rachel Bovard. It's titled, Confused Who Has the Majority in Congress? You're Not Alone. It says, in 2014, Republicans won a majority in, in the Senate. However, if you've been watching the Senate lately, you'd be forgiven for wondering who is actually in charge. Democrats demand and receive amendment votes while Republican amendments are stifled. Appropriations bills, ostensibly written by Republicans, come to the floor lacking any GOP priorities 
while conservative efforts to amend the bill are set up to fail. Even more troubling are the policies coming out of the Republican-led Senate. Appropriations bills are passed, but at higher spending levels than even President Barack Obama requested. Just this week, the Senate voted to bail out the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico without considering any of the economic reforms supported by conservatives. Things really took a turn last week, however, when the Senate Appropriations Committee advanced its 2017 foreign aid bill. In a sign that principles were about to be shelved, all 16 Republicans and 14 Democrats on the committee unanimously supported an amendment by Senator Jeff Merkley, Democrat of Oregon, to provide $500 million to the U.N.-sponsored Green Climate Fund, the principal funding mechanism for Obama's International Climate Change Treaty. For the record, this is the same treaty that the Obama administration imposed upon taxpayers without the advice and consent of the Senate, and the same funding mechanism that GOP senators previously swore up and down they would fight tooth and nail to oppose. But the committee action got even worse with the passage of an amendment offered by Senator Gene Shahan, a Democrat of New Hampshire, to add $37.5 million to the United Nations Population Fund, which provides services for international family planning and reproductive health. That is, taxpayer-funded abortion portions performed overseas. In a Republican-controlled committee, this amendment supporting abortion passed 17 to 13, thanks to the votes of Senator Susan Collins, Republican, Maine, Lisa Murkowski, Republican, Alaska, and Mark Kirk, Republican of Illinois. Most disturbing, however, was that the entire bill, bill containing language to fund abortion and to fund the president's climate change treaty, passed the committee 32-0. Some will argue that this is just a committee process and the real consideration of the bill will be on the Senate floor when all senators will have the opportunity to weigh in. Perhaps only if Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, allows senators to participate in an open process, which he has lately been loath to do. If and when this bill hits the floor, we should expect that Republicans would stand up for what they said they believe in and vote to strike provisions of this bill that violate their principles. Here we go again. Principled conservatives. Back to the story here. Republicans may be in charge of the Senate and Democrats may be in the minority, but it is getting increasingly difficult to tell the difference. Bingo. Nothing has changed, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing will change, ladies and gentlemen. Donald Trump must become president of the United States to break up the Washington cartel. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. You were the wrong caller. You're right, Andy. He had it coming. See, it he probably, did. It was probably like a Christmas present from his grandma, and his mom kept on saying, you got to wear that. Wear the red sweater. Grandma, grandma gave, it, gave to it, to it to you. She doesn't have Mom, you don't understand. I can't wear the... Put the on the red sweater now, okay? You don't, okay, fine. I'll wear the... Is that what you want? Bang, bang, bang. Mom, why? The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Okay, in the final segment here, 
Follow-up from the last segment, I talked about the U.S. GOP-led Senate and how they're kind of like just fumbling or stumbling around, can't find their way. And it, it made me think of something going on in the House. You know, as you know, the House is controlled by the Republicans, and it's over this no-fly, no-buy list. And Paul Ryan has made it clear they're going to take up a bill after the July 4th recess on the no-fly, no-buy. And basically, it's going to mirror what the Senate could not get through. They just want to attach due process to anybody that's on that list because we do not take constitutional rights away in the United States without due process. So government keeps these secret lists. I find that very un-American. For government to be allowed to keep secret lists, we don't know who's on it, how you get on it, how you get off. And then they want to attach a, a, a... mechanism to take your constitutional rights away off of that list and you don't get any due process. We don't do that in the United States. As Barack Obama says, it's not who we are. So why is the House even wasting their time on it? Just for symbolism, to say we did it and and the Democrats uh, voted all again. First of all, the Dems won't be able to stop it in the House. And that's what all the sit-ins and all this other nonsense is. All right, so Ryan wants to prove a point. Here, we'll, we'll give you a vote on the no-fly, no-buy. The Democrats don't want a resolution on no-fly, no-buy. They want the wedge issue. So they don't want this vote to take place. But I thought, well, then why even work on it, uh, Speaker? Because you can't get it through the Senate anyway. Even if you pass, and you, you, you this will pass, with the provision of due process. The Senate can't get it through. So it's a waste of time at this point. And I thought, why doesn't the House work on the carrying concealed license reciprocity bill? You want to do something? Do something for law-abiding people. Do something that we've been asking for. Pass that. Let it go to the Senate. Let the Democrats try to filibuster it. The reciprocity bill. My carry concealed weapon license, valid in Wisconsin, should be valid across all state lines, just like my driver's license is. Just like my marriage license is. It's valid in all 50 states. It's not only valid in 31. It's only valid in some states and not others. Why shouldn't it be? It's a constitutional right. And driving and marriage aren't even constitutional rights. You've heard me say that. If this Congress, this GOP-led Congress, wanted to do something and make some political hay out of it, pass the reciprocity bill, dare the, 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 the blue dog Democrats, whatever those are now, they don't really exist, but those Democrats who represent areas where gun rights are strong, let them vote against it. Dare Obama to veto it. Then use it as a campaign issue. It's no fly, no buy. So I want to turn to New York. How would you like to be one of New York's finest? An NYPD officer under Mayor Bill de Blasio. Man, I'll tell you. You talk about a guy that 
just took a great city. It was finally on its way. Now things are starting to fall apart because of his uber-lefty policies. Did I come across a story on a city journal? That's the uh, magazine for the Manhattan Institute. Just to give you a little look at what these NYPD officers are in for. You know, de Blasio's coming up for re-election. He'll probably get re-elected depending on... He's not liked. But it depends on who gets in. You need to win an election against an incumbent. You need the right candidate. You need the right message. You need money. You got to have all three. You can't have two of three to beat an incumbent. So you know that that de Blasio is very anti-NYPD. He's thrown them under the bus several times in some um, uh, related uses of force, some of the policy, some of the training. He, he ended stop and frisk. He ran on that. So there's a story here from City Journal. It's by Bob McManus. It's de Blasio's anti-cop stooges. The New York mayor keeps appointing activists to oversight roles. Pity poor Bill Bratton, New York police commissioner, keeps delivering the goods for Mayor Bill de Blasio to say nothing of New York City, and all he gets in return is one mayoral kick in the teeth after another. The latest, de Blasio's appointment of civil rights activist Maya Wiley to head the Civilian Complaint Review Board, Gotham's police watchdog. Wiley replaces Richard Emery, who left the panel earlier this year with an, uh, under an ethics cloud. She brings a cloud of her own, having just stepped down as chief counsel to Bill de Blasio's scandal-wracked regime. Wiley's ascension comes hard on the heels of a report by the de Blasio hand-picked inspector general for police matters, Philip Urey, that ripped the broken windows theory of policing, a spectacularly successful two-decade approach to public safety in New York and Bratton's signature approach to keeping cities safe. Yuri's report was greeted with the ridicule that it deserved. Only hacks and activists denied the efficacy of broken windows. Even the mayor, a man with barely concealed animosity toward police and policing, felt compelled to repudiate the document. But Yuri is a critical clog in the Blasio's public safety machinery, and so the report ultimately is mayoral handiwork just as Wiley's appointment will be on the administration's record. Everything de Blasio does in the personnel department seems designed to send a message to Brad, and I'm stuck with you, Mr. Commissioner, but I don't really trust you, nor do I trust the 30,000-plus police officers under your command, to quote from what he's saying uh, this message is. The CCRB gig is part-time, and Wiley will also assume the role of Senior Vice President for Social Justice at the new school. It's not clearly exactly what that means, except in one very specific way. On the face of it, every cop in the city has reason to mistrust Wiley's values, judgment, and objectivity. Emery was bad enough in the role, and all he did was run a law firm that helped CCRB complaint sue the city. Neither Emery nor Wiley is fit for the watchdog job in this respect. Consider what the reaction would have been if Rudy Giuliani had put a Patrolman's Benevolent Association lawyer in the gig. How much longer Bratton is willing to put up with City Hall's disrespect is a reasonable question. He has his flaws for sure, but results speak loudly for themselves. Violent crime in most cities surged dramatically after the Ferguson, Missouri debacle, 
but not in New York, which remains far and away the safest big city in America. This speaks to the competence of Bratton's leadership. Here, here. Imagine what's likely to happen if Bratton is replaced with someone carrying Wiley's ideological baggage or Emery's ethics. That is, imagine a completely unnecessary nightmare. Again, Bob McManus, he's a City Journal contributing editor, Manhattan Institute, periodical. What a mess. I tell you what, I pray for NYPD's finest all the time. If Bratton leaves, and I don't think he's going to be long for this, it is going to be unbearable to work in the New York Police Department. It's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining me. Follow me during the week on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, and on the thepeoplesheriff.com. God bless you. David Clark, The People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.